Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. G'day and welcome to the Macquarie Street political podcast. I'm Lyle Shelton from the Christian Democratic Party. It's great to have your company again this week as I interview someone who uh, I've come to know over recent years, Professor Ian Plymer. He's a geologist, uh, a scientist. Uh, He's someone who works uh, in the mining industry, but he has had a perspective on climate change, a contentious issue, written many, many books. And uh, his latest book is called Green Murder. And uh, it exposes how the Greens political movement is actually hurting people and he charges killing people. Yes, it's controversial, it's provocative, but we unpack this uh, during this interview, which I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Now, Professor Plymer is not uh, someone who is of Christian faith, but we do explore that in the interview and you'll be surprised at what he has to say. This is such a crucial issue. It dominates the political discourse. It's one of the top priorities of federal and state governments. It's driving our energy policy. It's driving us towards, uh, in my view, uh, well, it's not just my view, it's, it's objectively true that it's driving us towards unreliable and intermittent energy supplies. We close down coal-fired power stations and try and replace them with wind and solar and, uh, and of course, batteries, which are, are unable to power Uh, modern industrialized societies. This is a big, big issue. Uh, I can't think of anyone better to discuss this issue with than Professor Plymer. So please sit back and enjoy this discussion. Well, it's my great uh, privilege and pleasure to have uh, Professor Ian Plymer joining me today to talk about his new book, Green Murder, a very provocative title. Uh, Professor Plymer is a geologist, he's an earth scientist, and he's also a director of mining companies. Uh, Professor Plymer, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you. Can you? I'll wave it around. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I want to come back to that provocative title. Uh, Ian, you know that um, we've spoken before. Obviously, I'm very supportive of the position that that you take, but I, I want to ask a couple of devil's advocate questions uh, because not all of our audience, I guess, is perhaps tracking. Um, most of us are swimming uh, in the um, the soup of the mainstream media, and that that often messes with our minds. But you you often say that it has never been shown that human emissions of the gas CO two, the gas of life, drives gr- global warming. Can can you just please unpack that for us? I'm very much aware of the scientific literature. I've been looking at this question for 25 years. There is not one scientific paper that proves that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. Now, if this were the case, you'd then also have to prove that the natural emissions of carbon dioxide, which are about 97% of the total, don't drive global warming. Senator Roberts in the Senate's evidence at all that human emissions drive global warming. So you heard it first from the CSIRO. I've been pushing this for years. And I don't have an opinion. I have facts, and my facts are underpinned by the scientific method. And we have a huge amount of evidence to show the exact opposite, that carbon dioxide does not drive global warming. So the whole premise of emissions, the whole premise of uh, cutting down our coal industry, 
I don't think has ever been shown. That's very interesting. Um, and we've got a little bit of a scratchy line, but we'll persevere because your audio uh, seems to be fine. But we're, we're often told that it's a matter of physics that um, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere interacting with sunlight, that uh, that creates a, a warming effect. So, so we're told that supposedly settled science. So, so what you're saying obviously is very provocative and controversial. Um, what, what do people say to you? What do other scientists who are on board with the global warming hypothesis or what they consider settled science, what do they say to you when you say that it's never been proven? I think we might have lost you there, Professor Plyman. I cannot hear the question, nor you, Lyle. Yeah, okay. And we must have a, um, a bad it's line more there. more than a scratchy line. Yes. Yeah, we might need to... Um, are you hear hearing me question. there, okay? I, I didn't hear the question. I couldn't see you. I can see you okay. now and I can hear you, but I didn't hear your question. All right. We'll try, we'll try again and just persevere for a second and just see whether we can make this work. Yeah. Um, what, what do other scientists who are on board with the global warming thesis say to you when you when you say that it's never been proven? Um, you know, we're often told it's just it's a matter of simple physics that carbon dioxide uh, in the atmosphere interacting with sunlight ha has a heating effect. What 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 is the pushback you get when you when you say it's never been proven that CO two causes warming? Well, the first thing is they use the word consensus. Science uh, doesn't use the word consensus. Once the word consensus is used, I know that I'm not talking to someone who uses a scientific method. The second thing is that no um, person who's got an interest in science will debate me. It's climate science by name only. But um, I would argue that the methodology is not scientific because when you come up with a scientific concept, you have to deal with all the areas of evidence and there is 4,500 million years of evidence of climate that we geologists have been looking at for hundreds of years. We've been looking at this well before people got interested in climate science and we can see from the past that we have never ever seen a relationship between carbon dioxide and climate. In fact, we've had the six major ice ages formed at a time when there was more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than now. So these points get ignored by people who only look at the physics of the atmosphere. They don't look at anything else. They don't look at the effect of heat coming from below the earth. They don't look at the effect of carbon dioxide coming up from beneath our feet, from the soils and from the rocks and from deep down in the planet. So if you narrow the argument down just to dealing with the atmosphere and the atmosphere alone and forgetting the effect of the sun, forgetting the effect of clouds and forgetting the effect of what the earth emits and the history of the planet, you will come up with a conclusion that carbon dioxide emissions drive global warming. You haven't come up with the conclusion that carbon dioxide emitted by humans drives global warming. So scientists who make a that was a cruel wipeout 
So this is the state of science at present, where there is one view and one view only. Debate is not allowed. And those with different facts from different areas of science just get dismissed because these facts don't fit with the narrative. And it's that narrative that keeps, in effect, uh, a lot of unemployable people employed. You've, you make the point, uh, I think, in the book and probably um, elsewhere over the years of your engagement in this debate, that uh, 97% of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is naturally occurring. And I think you even say that the um, IPCC, the UN body that drives the whole global climate policy, that they that's their figure, and that uh, only 3% is uh, attributable to humans and, and burning fossil fuels. Yes, and that, that figure's been around for a long period of time. I, I actually question that figure in uh, this, my latest book. I question it because um, I can show, and I've shown in this book, the figure may well be substantially less. And it's substantially less because a number of the sources of carbon dioxide have been forgotten. Now, that 97% is basically emissions from the oceans. Uh, there's a small amount of carbon dioxide in the total atmosphere that we emit, there's a small amount of carbon dioxide that comes out of soils and elsewhere. But it's essentially degassing of the oceans. And the degassing of the oceans has a delay factor. And um, we warm the atmosphere, and then later we see an increase in carbon dioxide. Now, we see this in ice cores in Antarctica and in Greenland, where we have had a natural heating of the planet, which is a normal process. It heats, it cools, and there are many reasons for this. We've had a natural heating of the planet. And then after that natural heating, something between 650 or 1,600 years later, we actually get an increase in carbon dioxide. So we can show from modern measurements, which just happen to get ignored by those who are living off the climate scare, we can show that the emissions of carbon dioxide are related to temperature. It's not that carbon dioxide drives temperature. It's the exact inverse. What do your critics say, uh, Ian, when you point out that we've had warming periods in the, the medieval time, uh, the, the Roman warming, and, and, of course, others that go back much further? My critics don't answer me with any argument. The first thing my critics do is attack my credibility. And they can attack my credibility, but I've been a chair in various universities around the world for 30 years. Um, and I have dealt with the scientific method uh, for five decades. Uh, whether I am a meteorologist or whether I am, as some sociologists call themselves, climatologists or climate scientists, doesn't matter. They have never argued the evidence with me. They've attacked me as a person. They've attacked me as a person uh, because... Many of my skills can work in different areas, and that is that I have been uh, quite successful in mineral exploration. I've been quite successful in adding to Australia's wealth by sitting on the boards of various mining companies, and that they attack me for, but they don't attack me on the evidence. They don't come up with contrary evidence, which I can debate. So we're not dealing with science. We are dealing with a political propaganda unit. We are dealing with a restructuring of the way society works and we are not using common sense, we are not using data, we are not using history and we are not using all the other sciences to try to come to a conclusion that actually might be useful for humans. The satellite data, which gives a totally different record to the doctored 
surface data of temperature is ignored. Um, people are now not able to debate. They just attack the person and any point I make, I'm very happy to debate someone on this. But for years, some of us have been trying to get the principal um, proponents of the human-induced global warming to come out and have a public debate. They won't do it. Why not? We pay yeah, it. Why not? That, that's a very good question. Um, and yet we, we see... Um, Bill Nelson uh, from NASA last week uh, quoted in the Weekend Australian and Graham Lloyd's excellent article about the the catastrophe of supposed catastrophe of global warming. But he's saying eight of the top ten warmest years uh, on the planet occurred in the last ten years. Now, now you make the point in Green Murder that um, that uh, this is not taking into account history. Uh, because our, our temperature records, well, certainly satellite records <clears throat> that NASA would use are, are very modern, and uh, other temperature records have only been around since the 1880s. Well, we can use proxies also. And um, to use words like unprecedented or the hottest or the coldest or whatever, uh, illogical. Uh, they are illogical because you have to ignore the past to come up with that statement. Now, if we like to look at the past in this current interglacial, we have had more than 9,000 of the 10,000 years in this interglacial warmer than now. So we are not in a climate emergency. We're actually going the opposite direction. We had a, a, a Holocene optimum some four to 6,000 years ago. And since that time, we have been gently cooling. And during that cooling period, we've had warmer periods and cooler periods, but the trend over those thousands of years has been cooler. You cannot write out of history uh, the Minoan warming, the Roman warming, the medieval warming. You cannot write out of history the Dark Ages or the Little Ice Age. Yet to claim that we are in the warmest times ever, uh, you have to write that out of history. The second thing you have to do is to rely on one set of temperature measurements which are surface measurements, most of which have been, so they say, adjusted. And those surface measurements uh, are not in accord with the satellite measurements, which give us a three-dimensional view of the atmosphere. So when someone makes that statement, you have to then say, well, what is the evidence used to make that statement? What are the errors in your uh, measurements? How were the measurements made? Who made them? And what corrections were put to those measurements? Now, this is why I argue that a lot of climate science is fraudulent because we don't hear the reservations that are normal in science. And science progresses by having old theories thrown out on the basis of new evidence. And if you ignore that new evidence, what you're doing is you're sticking to a position like a dinosaur and never, ever changing. And that's what climate science is doing. And now, Ian, you've been really hammering this point for, for many, many years and very consistently. Um, your latest book is Green Murder. Uh, it's, uh, I think the, the subtitle is uh, Net Zero, uh, A Lifetime of uh, Net Zero with No Parole. It's a very provocative um, title. You're accusing essentially the Greens political movement, the Greens political party of killing people. Yes, I am. Um, their energy policies in the US led to 200 people dying in Texas when there was a, a wind lull and a cold period over Texas. 
that the same is happening in Germany right now in this winter. The same is happening in the UK where people have to make a choice. Do I eat? Do I have a warm shower or do I have the heater on? Um, we have the next extension of green policies, uh, the wind turbines and solar panels. And the wind turbines kill wildlife. They slice and dice wildlife. They kill the environment. We cover some of the most beautiful areas of this planet with wind turbines. And then when we try to decommission a wind turbine, the concrete, hundreds of tonnes of concrete and steel is just left there. Now, no in other industry is allowed to do that. All other industries have to pay a bond. And if you don't clean up the mess afterwards, then that money is used to clean up the mess. The mining industry has been doing this for 50 years. So why not the wind industry? And then the turbine blades are dumped. And these turbine blades have some horribly poisonous chemicals in them. Uh, they cannot be recycled and they're just dumped and these chemicals leach out into the water table. So if the Greens claim they're environmentalists, there is no way they can support wind power. And with solar power, they sterilise millions of acres of fertile land which could be otherwise used for producing food. The solar panels are made by slave labour in China. The solar panels uh, have a short life and, again, they cannot be recycled. They are dumped and the dumping leaches out chemicals into the environment. Now, the green industry is also telling us, oh, we must be wonderful and environmentally friendly and, and drive an electric vehicle. But they don't tell us that the cobalt for that electricity comes from child slave labour in the Congo. And these black children um, are slaves and they get paid virtually nothing. They die underground in horribly unsafe conditions. They are dealing with toxic chemicals in the mining of the cobalt, and the mess is spread wide and far. So the Greens, by their very policies, are killing wildlife, are killing landscapes, are killing off food production, are killing children in Africa, and their policies by stopping Indians and Africans having cheap, coal-fired electricity means that poor people in the African and Indian subcontinent, they actually have dung and twigs and leaves for cooking and for heating. And in huts, this ends up poisoning people, killing people, especially the women. The Greens cannot take the high moral ground. They try to tell us they're moral, but they're not. All of this information is available if they... Doubt it, then with a 30-second search on one of these, you can find out this information. So how dare the Greens try to claim they're taking the moral position? Their policies are to de-industrialise the Western world, to bring us all into equal poverty, except for them who are the elite and will be wealthy and well-fed, and their policies are killing people in other countries. I'm absolutely sick of the Greens trying to tell us that they have the high moral ground. They do not. Their policies end up killing people, and this is why the book is called Green Murder. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree with you more, Ian, and uh, the things that you've spoken about are well documented. You can even read in the mainstream secular media about uh, the child slave labour in the Congo mining those um, rare earth metals. 
um, those of us in the Christian world have obviously been concerned about the Greens uh, death cult uh, for a long time on their views on uh, abortion, even abortion after birth. Uh, Peter Singer uh, is a proponent of infanticide and, of course, euthanasia. They just drive these death policies. But um, we'll put that to one side for a no, moment. No, um, no, let's not put it to one side. Let's add to it. Um, we have the benefits of Western civilization. And we have thousands of years of benefits, and that is due to Christianity. Christianity has given us the music we enjoy. Christianity has a history. Uh, Christianity has given us a set of ethics and morals. And now we have the Greens, who are quite willingly wanting murder children after they have been born, because it just happens to be inconvenient. That's not good enough. And that ties in very much with their views on the environment. And that ties in very much with the whole political view of the Greens, and that is to deconstruct everything in Western society that has given us the wealth and the strength that we have. So we have Greens attacking every institution, be they the schools, the churches, the universities, all of the charities. Now, just tell me, Lyle, give me the name of a school that the Greens fund or a charity perhaps or a hospital perhaps or a social service these people are murderous hypocrites and we need to combine all of our forces to fight them and be this christian be this people who are from other religions they need to be fought because these people are knowingly deconstructing everything that two thousand years of society has built up we cannot let them get away with it and they've started in the education system. We've had 40 years of dumbing down, and it now shows. Thank you, Ian, for not letting me set that aside. I, the reason I said that I wasn't wanting to assume that yourself, who, who I know, and, and we've we've uh, interacted before in the past, and I've always enjoyed your company, but I, I, I don't think it's um, revealing anything to say that you're, you're someone who doesn't profess to be someone of faith. I don't know whether you're an atheist or an agnostic. But what I do appreciate well, what is I am, understand, many you understand friends, history. <laughs> Sorry, I'll let Many you of my friends of the cloth call me a spiritual agnostic, and that is yeah. that I'm searching for spirituality, and I'm not as fundamentalist as the atheists, who I think are more fundamentalist than the Christian fundamentalists. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm on a journey. Well, well that, that's, we appreciate that. Um, what I really appreciate is that you... Part of your journey, um, you're educated and you understand history. And um, I think you say in the book, or certainly in some of the commentary you've uh, put out around the book, that the, the greatest threat to our civilization is, is not climate change or even China. It is the um, abandoning of, um, just to be quite right, um, it's the, well, the collapse of the values of Western civilization, which I think those Christian values that you've just mentioned. So you, you actually yeah. see that as a greater threat. But that's certainly not the where the priorities of our political class are, are they? Um, we're, we're looking in the wrong direction if we're trying to uh, address the, the great issues of our day. Well, our political class, and, and you know, don't, don't get shocked by this, but they don't care about anything except their re-election. They don't care about you. They don't care about your health. They don't care about the nation. They don't care about a struggling pensioner who might be making in, trying to make ends meet with increasing electricity costs, they don't care. The only good politician is a frightened politician when they are frightened that they might not actually get re-elected. 
So we're dealing with a very cynical class of people who have made a career out of politics, whereas in the past, politics was a calling and you felt you had to give something back using your knowledge and experience to society, but not so now. It's a career and many people go straight from university politics into legal politics or a union or as a staffer and then become a local member and then uh, enter uh, parliament as a local member with aspirations of getting higher. So, um, again, um, don't believe the fact that a politician is there to look after you. A politician is there to open your wallet and keep him in power. Ian, I wanted to ask you about politicians um, because um, there's there's been many who have really tried to carry uh, this debate in the parliament. So I think of uh, the former Senator Nick Minchin, who was a very well-respected minister in the Howard government, uh, he was very outspoken on this, copped a lot of grief, as you have Corey Bernardi, who's now no longer in the parliament, uh, your friend and my friend, George Christensen, good friend of mine, who's now leaving the parliament and, and by his own admission just feels there's no way you can make progress with conservative issues. Craig Kelly, now out of the Liberal Party. Matthias Cormann, um, now running climate policy and net zero agenda for the OECD. Uh, uh, Scott Morrison took a lump of coal into the 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 parliament himself into the chamber it seems like matt canavan and, and maybe a handful of others are really the last standing why are the forces arrayed against political um people so great that so many of them end up being roadkill in this policy debate our politics is run from marginal seats um and it's run from the cities the people in rural Australia who are blessed with common sense, who see how food and fibre, materials and minerals and energy are produced and transported to the city. They are very few now. They don't have an electoral voice. So people like Matt Canavan are representing those people. He's representing uh, the beef cattle industry, representing the cane, cane farmers up in his area, representing the coal miners. There are very, very few people now in politics who know anything about how rural Australia operates and how rural Australia keeps this country afloat. In Sydney, for example, if someone goes to Mudgee for a weekend for on a wine-tasting tour, they say they've been to the outback. Oh, yeah, I can tell you that on a, on a clear night in Mudgee, you can hear the surf. That isn't the outback. <laughs> That's coastal. These people have no idea, yet the power of politics is driven out of the cities. And all I can say is thank God for the rural Queensland electorates in the last federal election. Those are the people that kept people um, in the seats of, um, uh, of George Christensen, of, of Pitt, of uh, Michelle Landry. Those are the people that kept Australia sensible. Now, we have a huge battle in Australia where the average city person now lives in an apartment. They have no idea what happens to produce the wealth that this country needs. So this is the battle we have where each vote is equal. We've had a massive demographic change. People in the cities are only interested in their latest Porsche and their cafe latte and which restaurant is, is now serving their smashed avocado. And I have no idea. No idea how they have become wealthy. 
I can understand city people uh, feeling like that, and and particularly given the vacuum, um, the fact that so few people will speak up now and, and put the counter narrative. But it's it's not just city people. I mean, Andrew Forrest, who I'm sure is known to you, he's in the mining industry. He's you know lived his life in the outback, come from there, and yet he and, and his money and his wealth is generated from the mining industry, yet he has now become one of the biggest proponents of net zero. He's pushing this um, so-called green hydrogen. Um, wh- why do you think people like him have jumped on this bandwagon, even went to COP21 in Glasgow and, and, and spruiked this whole thing against the interests of his own country? What's going on here? I have only three words to say. Follow the money. So, so it's it's about getting the government subsidies, is it? Uh, I mean, he doesn't of need course. government money. I mean, he's got plenty of his own. I mean, we, uh, we why, does, why does a man like Forrest need government? We we provide nearly twenty billion a year in subsidies for inefficient, unreliable, expensive energy, and that has replaced having cheap, reliable energy. There is a huge amount of money sloshing around for people to game the system. And that is the money that people pay when they have a heart attack looking at the electricity bill. That's the money that people pay when their employer has to lay them off because they cannot afford the electricity to keep the business going. It is a scam. Our government is into it up to the neck. Our government has made commitments which we can't possibly fulfil in order to try to look good internationally. Well, I'm sorry, um, I am not part uh, of that world. We have to look at our nation and our nation first and deal with international relationships afterwards. But everything that's happening with subsidies is against the national interest. We are consuming monies which could go into roads or schools or hospitals. We're consuming monies that can be used for much, much better purposes than lining an entrepreneur's pocket. Now, I don't have a problem with people who want to make a fortune out of wind and solar because the government has opened the door and allowed these opportunities. Simple thing to do is say, well, you've had decades of making um, unreliable energy um, from your so-called renewables. Um, You must be very good at it now, so we're having no more subsidies. Well, Ian, Ian, I would love to keep chatting all day with you, but uh, I know your time's limited. Um, The book is Green Murder. You might want to hold that up. Um, It's published by the good people at Connor Court. And, Ian, I understand people can go to greenmurder.com to order that uh, from Connor Court. Yes, you can either go to the Connor Court publishing.com.au website or to greenmurder.com. And um, I have just come back from spending... um, nearly six weeks in Queensland, where I signed six and a half tonnes of green murder and inscribed books uh, for everyone who purchased a copy. Uh, It came out in mid-December 2021. Uh, It was a bestseller by the end of the year. So it is, in effect, the Bible to show people how stupid we are, and that stupidity is because we are so wealthy. The wealth that we have today is nothing compared with with um, the disasters which uh, we will face from this and we can only learn from the past. And anyone who wants to follow green policies should go and talk to their grandparents and ask them what life was like. 
Yep. And history is the key thing to understanding the present. Uh, wise words, Ian. Thank you so much for your courage and for continuing to put yourself out there in this debate. I really encourage everyone to get a hold of uh, the book and to be educated on this because uh, I agree with you. The consequences for our nation are dire for our children and grandchildren. Ian, thanks so much for your time today. All the best. Thank you, Lara. Well, that's it on the Macquarie Street Political Podcast for this week. Thanks so much for your company. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Professor Plymer. If you did, please be a force multiplier. Help get the word out. Share this uh, with your friends on social media uh, so that more and more people can be exposed to this message. Uh, next week, uh, I've got a terrific interview with uh, Jared Henderson of the Sydney Institute. Uh, his latest book is about the Cardinal Pell trial. And uh, uh, Jared Henderson goes into forensic detail about that trial and why uh, an innocent man was dragged through the legal system uh, set up by the police and the um, prosecutors in Victoria and uh, really let down by the legal system. It's an intriguing interview. You won't want to miss that next week. Well, thanks very much to Dave Pellow at The Good Source and his team of volunteers uh, for their help with production of uh, the Macquarie Street Political uh, Podcast. I'm so grateful for their assistance. Couldn't do it without them. And please go to goodsource.news for lots of terrific commentary from uh, fellow conservatives around this nation. Well, thanks so much again for your company. Until next week, God bless. Music.